welcome. Prepare your heart as we dive into the Word of God. Pastor Steve of Beloved Church in Lena, Illinois is about to lead you into a life-changing encounter with grace and truth. Jesus Christ has a divine destiny perfectly orchestrated for those who are willing to be adventurous enough to receive His favor and blessing into their life. Our prayer is that you will allow the presence of the comforting Holy Spirit of God to radically display the Father's love for you. You are a part of God's beloved family, and that means you are greatly loved. Now over to Pastor Steve. All right, so welcome to 2022. This is, this is going to be your best year yet. I can tell you prophetically and according to the Word of God that the best is yet to come. This will be the best service that you've ever been to. You will have the best encounter with the Lord tonight that you've ever had. I can say all of that because God always wants to increase, increase, increase. If something is decreasing in your life, that's, that's positive, let me say this, uh, right. If something positive or good is decreasing in your life, it is not God's will. God doesn't want you more broke. He doesn't want you sorrowful, guilty, condemned just to teach you a lesson. He doesn't want you sick so you can learn how to slow down. Whatever religion has told you about God decreasing positive things in your life is a lie. Can I be any more clear? Does anybody need me to make sure that I unravel that or do we got that? Good things come from God. And he wants them to increase. Jesus said in John chapter 15 that I, that he wants us to be fruitful and that our fruit increases. So if we are living an authentic kingdom life and allowing the Holy Spirit, the Word of God, um, the love of Jesus Christ in our lives to really work its way in according to the will of God, then all the good things in our life should be increasing. Amen. Now, I will say this. Sometimes we might need a little bit of extra help from God helping us figure out what the good things are. Because there's things that I've had in my life that I used to call good that I realize now, not so good. And, and I know everybody's in here like, well, duh, I know the difference between good and bad. Really? Because there's a whole culture out there, there's a whole society out there that call evil good and good evil. So if you think that you've got it all figured out, well then I'm just going to sit down and you can be the pastor for a while. Because I'm still figuring it out. There's a lot of things out there that are not as clear cut as they could be. And especially when you start listening to the narratives of the world. That's why it's so important to be in the scriptures that define the righteousness of God. Some of you have committed, God bless you, that we're going to read the Bible through together this year. I am really excited about that because I'm anticipating some of you being like, Pastor, did you know in the Bible it says? Like, no, I never know that was in there. The, the title, as much as you guys know that I love having titles for my messages, is End of an Era. End of an era. I know you're thinking, what, 2022? Like, that's not the cool, awesome number that God would choose to end an era? I know. 
because God always works within the confines of your prettiness and makes everything the way you want it to look. Hebrews chapter 9 is where I'm going to begin. And Hebrews is one of those books of the Bible that i got to tell you, I have to be very careful when I'm standing up here because I would, I would pay you. And I mean this. I would pay you to let me stand up here for six, eight hours and go through the book of Hebrews with you. <laughs> I would pay because it is, yeah, baby. It's a good book. You should read Hebrews. I'm going to start in verse 24. I'm going to cut right into something because if I don't, you all know how I am. Verse 24 of Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to start in the King James. Um, we'll, we'll mess around with some other versions here in a minute. But, for Christ has not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Much of the verses prior to this was the writer of Hebrews telling us that everything that had ever been done in all of Judaism prior to this was for the purpose of types and shadows of the real which was Christ. The temple was a type and shadow of where Jesus was going to live in the future, which is you. So the, if you go and read, like the first time that they built the, the tabernacle that went around in the, in the wilderness with the children of Israel, that's a type and shadow of how God literally wants to live in the center of your life and you always camping around Him and He moves and goes wherever it is that you go. And then the first temple, if you've never read... Uh, the elaborate, the wealth, the, the beauty that was a part of building the first and the second temple, then you don't really truly have a revelation of how beautiful it is that God remade you. They had the, in the second temple, there was gold on the walls that was four inches thick. That's you. As you, it, it, it was so ornate. Every single thing had to be exactly the right way. There's chapters in the Bible describing exactly how long, short, how tall something needed to be. Because it had to be perfect. That's you. The Ark of the Covenant was a type and shadow of Jesus and the sacrifice that he was going to be. The sacrificing of lambs and oxes and bulls and goats and all that kind of stuff that was all types and shadows of Jesus. The way that the presence of God came down in a fire and a, and a pillar of smoke by day to shadow them and a pillar of fire by night. Every single thing in the Old Testament was a type and shadow. When the priests went into the Holy of Holies and went into the holy place and did all of their different duties, which were enumerated like at the nth detail. The reason it had to be that way was because Jesus was going to accomplish all of that in heaven. Jesus went to the temple of heaven, in heaven, and poured His blood on the heaven mercy seat. For all of us. That's how far sin got. Sin got all the way to heaven. 
and I know that you're probably sitting there in, uh, with some religious understanding prior to this, thinking, there ain't no way sin got into heaven. Really? Have you ever read the book of Job? Satan went to heaven. All the time. It was a total normal thing for him to show up and like, hey God, I'm here. Where have you been? Well, going to and fro on the earth looking for people to destroy. That's how far our sin affected all of the universe, all of eternity, everything. That's one of the reasons that Jesus had to be so diligent, so perfect, so extreme in everything that he did was to make sure that everything, it says in Ephesians chapter 5, it says that he went to the depths of the depths, the lowest of the low, and then ascended to the highest of the high, so that he could fill all things with his redemption. There's not a place you could go, there's not a depth you could go, there's not a height you could go, there's not a, a west and east, a north or a south that you can go, that you can get away from what he redeemed. And in this, it's talking specifically about some of the sacrifices and how they go on the altar and the blood, specifically about the blood of atonement. Once a year, all of the, all of Jewish, uh, in Judaism, they had to gather together in one place. They had to kill the sacrificial lamb who was without spot, perfect, without blemish. And then pour his blood, actually sprinkle his blood on the mercy seat of the altar or the Ark of the Covenant. And there was also another sheep that was the Azazel, which is the the scapegoat. If you've ever heard the term scapegoat, it came from Judaism because there was two goats that were offered. There was two lambs, goats that were offered. One of them was the Azazel, which is the scapegoat, and one of them was the one that was sacrificed. The Azazel was the one that the priest laid his hands on and literally transferred all of the sins of all of Israel on his head. And then that goat was led out into the wilderness to wander and die, usually destroyed by some other beast. And then they took the other goat, they cast lots to determine which goat was which, because they were both perfect and spotless. They took the other goat, they slit his throat, and poured his blood out to sacrifice, for, to pay for, all of the sins. So one of them took all of the sin away, and one of them paid the penalty of sin. Jesus became both. Jesus took all of our sin away, and took the punishment for that sin as well. Man, that's awesome. All of these things you can get if you study through the book of Hebrews. You can see some powerful, wonderful things that the Lord has done for us on our behalf. In this it says, Christ has not entered into the holy place, talking about he didn't go into the temple of Jerusalem after he was crucified and, and carry his blood into there. If you remember when he was resurrected, uh, Mary Magdalene seen him and she said, Rabboni, and she was going to go hug him or, or greet him, however it was that him and, uh, him and Mary had their greeting. And uh, the Lord said, don't touch me. Because I have yet to ascend into the heavenly place. And the reason he said that was because he had yet to offer his own perfect pure blood on that mercy seat, on the Ark of the Covenant for us. And so had Mary touched him prior to him ascending and putting his blood on the Ark of the Covenant, it would have defiled the whole process. So Christ didn't enter into the temple in Jerusalem. This is why they will never... Listen to me, and you can call me a false prophet if this doesn't come back. They will never 
ever find the Ark of the Covenant. They've been looking for it for 2,000 years, or well, uh, 1,930 years, because when the Temple of Jerusalem was destroyed in 70 AD, they've been looking for that Ark of the Covenant ever since. They will never find it, because there is none. Jesus is now the Ark of the Covenant. They will never do Those of you that are waiting for them to rebuild the temple so that we can have the end times, oh, poor you. Jesus is the temple, or Jesus is the Ark of the Covenant in the temple, which is you. And if you think that Judaism is going to be able to build a new temple so that they can sacrifice more blood on an Ark of the Covenant and literally defile everything that Jesus did, I'm telling you that my Father is not going to let that happen. There's been one sacrifice for all sin, for all man, for all time, and it was Jesus, the Lamb of God, that takes away the sins of the world. So Jesus never is going to enter into the temple made with hands. He went into the temple in heaven that was made by his Father. And he poured out his perfect blood that was the offering for all sin, for all man, for all time, for us once. Which are the figures of the true, but unto heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. Verse 25, nor yet that he should offer himself often, every year. In Judaism, they had to kill, shed blood, because there is no remission of sins without the shedding of blood. Uh, this is another reason that uh, uh, Judaism has found itself in a, uh, a terrible situation in the last uh, 1900 years, is because they have not been able to sacrifice for their sins. And in Orthodox Judaism right now, they actually believe that their sins are just basically stacking up year after year after year after year after year. Their sins are constipated. They need a Savior. Nor yet that he should offer himself often as the high priest entered into the holy place every year with the blood of others. Man, this, there's so much here that I don't have time to untap. But he was not only the high priest, but he was also the offering. He was also the blood. He was also the Azazel, the scapegoat. He was all of it. That's why he fills all in all, is what it says in Colossians chapter 2. He became all of these things for us. For then, verse uh, 26, for then must he often have suffered since the foundation of the world. What this is saying is, if it was just like Judaism 2.0, and Jesus was our high priest, but then also he offered his blood for the sins of man, well then every year he would have to offer them on the day of atonement again. So Jesus in heaven would have to re-bleed every year to keep up with what God had ordained to happen in the Old Testament. In addition to that, if you go through the sacrifices in the book of Leviticus, every time you commit certain sins, you had to offer death for that particular sin. So there was sin offerings for you directly, and then there was the Day of Atonement that covered everything that wasn't covered from you confessing it and killing something. So if 
Jesus was just like Judaism 2.0, then he would have to offer his blood all the time for all the sins for all of us. And I know some of you. Jesus would be bleeding a lot. All the people laughing are humble about it. So if Jesus had to offer his blood every time we sinned, how often would Jesus be seated at the right hand of the Father, resting in the finished work? We need to have the same attitude towards the completion of the atonement process of sin that Jesus has. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father, not concerned about our sin any longer. Because he offered one sacrifice for all man, for all sin, for all time. And is no longer conscious of our sinfulness, but rather is conscious of our righteousness. And if you let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who thought it not robbery to be called equal with God then you are going to live your life based upon the benefits that your high priest, who was also the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, which was also your scapegoat, the Azazel, you are going to live in accordance with what he offered to the Father on our behalf. This is the covenant. We had a covenant representative. His name was Jesus. And then we had humanity that Jesus represented. It, man, if I break off here, I'll never get back. Praise you, Jesus. Uh, all of the married people should be at Marriage Covenant Weekend in March. March something. Yes, just like what Mitchell said. I know you all heard him because he's really loud. The last day of March and then the first two days of April is Marriage Covenant Weekend. You need to be there. I'm going to teach I-K- Dr. Benchimer and Miss Krista is going to teach nonstop for two and a half days on the covenant. You need to understand in a covenant, there is a family that's represented by one that has another family that's represented by one and they come together and through shedding blood, those two families become one family. This is why we have names that are like, you know, Whitehead and... Uh, Smithbury and so because those names were joined together in covenant the two families became one family and Jesus here's the unique thing about the way Jesus did the covenant he was the representative of man because he was man he was human in every way that you are human but he was also God so he represented God and he was all God as perfect as God is, and he was all man, as perfect as man is, or imperfect. And Jesus himself is the mediator between God and man. He literally became the covenant himself and represented both sides. This is why when people think that they have the ministry of intercession where they're going to stand in between man and God, they're literally saying, Jesus, get out of the way, we'll handle this. Uh, I would encourage you not to do that. 
Jesus became that sacrifice. He became that intermediate. He became that mediator, that go-between, that intercessor between God and man. And forever is that intercessor because that covenant is living as long as his blood is active. And his blood is active. For then must he often have been suffering Uh, suffered since the foundation of the world. Now, the foundation of the world is a reference to the fall. And I know that I don't have time to go through all that and show you that in Scripture, but it wasn't since the beginning of time because Adam and Eve had no sin to atone for before they sinned. There was no sin before there was sin. This will mess with your Genesis account if you think that there was a, a... pre-Genesis and then a post-Genesis, because there are some people that, that believe that there was something that happened between Genesis 1-1 and Genesis 1-2. It's called the pre-Adamic uh, race, and, and I'm not going to get into all that, but I'm just here to tell you that uh, Romans chapter 5 makes it really clear that Adam was a person, and that person sinned. One man's sin thrust all of humanity into sinfulness, Because one man's righteousness was going to thrust all of humanity into right standing with God. So this foundation of the world was speaking of what Adam did to wreck what God created for it to be. But now, somebody say now. Now. Once. Somebody say once. once. Okay, in the Greek, both now and once means exactly what you think it means. Now, and now, and once means once. And, and I know some of you grew up with a parent that said, you do that again, I'm going to... Not that kind of once. The actual once. Now, this time, and once, one time. In the end of the world. And I... This is where we lose some folks. This term, end of the world, was only used six times in all of Scripture. It was used uh, three times in Matthew chapter 13, where the disciples were literally asking Jesus about the end of the world, the end of the age. And then Jesus used it twice in Matthew chapter 24, when the disciples, uh, are, I'm sorry, uh, It was used twice in 13, twice in 24, and it was used once in Matthew 28, which is the great commission that all of you remember, that Jesus said, Lo, I will be with you even until the end of the age. And a lot of people say, Oh, Jesus will never leave me nor forsake me. That's not what he was actually saying. I'm not saying that Jesus will leave you or forsake you. That's not. But that promise was actually Old Testament. God said in the Old Testament, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Jesus wasn't reiterating an Old Testament promise. He didn't necessarily have to do that. What Jesus was saying was, I will not leave you until the end of the age. And then he left. For those of you that aren't catching on, Jesus ended an age with his death. An age ended. And he left. He was assuring his disciples, until I leave... The age is not ended. But when I leave, the age will be ended. The end of the age. Not the end of the universe, not the end of time, not the end of the world, not the 
The end of the age. That word in the Greek, age, is era. It's Iona or something like that in the Greek. Let me look it up. A-I-O-N. Aeon. It's where we get era. And it literally means a time span characterized by a specific quality or type of existence of time. What Jesus ended was the era of sin having rulership, domination over all of creation, over all of mankind. Jesus destroyed the works of the devil. For this purpose, 1 John 3.08, for this purpose, the Son of God was manifest to destroy the works of the devil. Did he accomplish the mission? So then there was an era that was defined by humanity being sinful that changed into humanity having their sins atoned for, their sinfulness dealt with in punishment and in activity, and there is now a new era, which is where Jesus has made many sons come unto glory. We are no longer under the era of sin. That's good news to me. I know a bunch of you are sitting there like, whatever, preacher, get to the point. That's the point. We've been told all this time, well, we're just sinful humanity and we're always going to be sinful until that day. What's that day? Well, when we go to heaven. Hopefully you heard the whole series, the 27 messages that I preached before this that said, that's today. Like, we're in the kingdom. The kingdom of heaven is in you. You're seated with Him in right in heavenly places. That you were once a part of a dark, demonic uh a kingdom in a the, uh, Colossians chapter 1, verse 20-ish, 17, is that you were, you were once in a dark kingdom, but now God has translated you out of that kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His dear Son. You have been atoned for. The blood of Jesus Christ has covered all of your sin, the punishment of that sin, and the nature that produced the sin. There was this era where all of humanity was literally under the thumb, the oppression, the tyranny of Satan legally. Because he got it legally from Adam, and then Jesus came as the last Adam, the second Adam, and legally took back what belonged to us, which is right standing with God, all power, all authority in His name. We are supposed to be the ones that are ruling and reigning over this entire universe and he gave us back that cleanliness that we were supposed to have in the garden with our father who made us perfect and righteous and truly holy and now we sit in that place the era of you allowing yourself to be sinful has been ended for 2,000 years And you don't believe it. The reason that we don't believe it is because we know we did some stupid stuff today. Well, not we, because I mean not me. (laughs) And so you see that as being more real than this. It's perception. It's your version of reality. It's this is, this is actual. The Spirit of God is ethereal. 
Maybe he's here, maybe he's not. He's like a ghost. Don't move. Don't spook him. He might leave. And then we won't have the presence of God with us. This symptom that I feel in my body, this pain that I have in my body, it's real. Healing, I don't know. I know it's in the Bible, and Pastor Steve talks about it, and then there's those weird people that talk about it. I don't know. But the pain that I feel, it's really real. It's more real than this. You are believing that you're in an age that you are no longer in. The era of the rulership of sin has ended. And I'm inviting you into a new year, a new era, a new time in your life that you are no longer dominated by and controlled by a tyrant that has already been unseated and all of his lies. Because Jesus completely and utterly destroyed him, his kingdom, his power, and his influence. The only thing that he can do to you is deceive you. And he's been doing a darn good job. Me too. End of the world is the Greek word sin to I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I literally copied and pasted this from the dick, from the, uh, the study guide that I use on the scriptures. The King James Version is misleading by rendering that word that I can't pronounce as the end of the world. For example, when it occurs with aeon, which is the age. Another word for age is epoch. E-P-O-C-H. This expression actually means at the consummation of the age. For example, when it reaches its intended climax, the conclusion. God intended for Jesus to build everything to the climax of the, the atonement. He's going to be on the cross, on the top of the hill of the skull. He is going to be the peak of all of God's activity. Jesus wasn't the beginning of what God was going to eventually do one day. Jesus was what God was going to do one day. There wasn't, there wasn't going to be the beginning of what, uh, of what God intended for salvation to be to start with the atonement. And then we're going to get better and better and better and better and better and better of, uh, in uh, more salvation being released. No. It was all released, and we're going to get better and better and better and better learning about it, understanding it, and allowing it to take place in our life. Jesus isn't going to re-die and re-bleed for something that you're doing today. This was the climax. This was the end of the era. This was the end of the age for all of humanity. And we can either transition into the age that God has for us, or we can still pretend like we're living before. If I, if I decided that I wanted to, to act a fool today and, and leave here and, uh, 
and go get drunk and go get a girlfriend and do stupid stuff, it doesn't mean that um, I've, I've all of a sudden become unborn again and unmarried. It just means I'm not living that way. I'm still married. I can assure you, she ain't going to be happy. I might be dead. I'm, I didn't get unholy because I got drunk. I just didn't believe in my holiness. I went somewhere outside of what God had given me to get some kind of relief. I went somewhere outside of the marriage that God intended for me to have to get some kind of relief. I lowered myself to a way of life, a form of life that was no longer my life. But it was familiar. Because that's how I used to live. That's why in Ephesians 2 it says that you don't go back to your former way of life. It doesn't say you can't go back. It says don't go back. Because sometimes we're so, things become so familiar that even though they're painful, even though we don't like it, even though we know what the results are, even though we know how painful it was, it's still familiar. It's still familiar. We need to live in the new familiar. The new familiar is the finished work of the cross. The era that we're in now, the way of life that we're in now, which is the life defined by righteousness. But now, once in the end of the world, hath he appeared, did Jesus become manifest, physically show up, to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. This world, this word put away, this is an awesome, awesome word. It means nullification, annulment, cancellation. For example, what is rendered no longer in effect. Literally, no longer having a place. So now these verses are saying that Jesus annulled, canceled, no longer left a place for sin. You can believe what you're experiencing, you can believe what you're thinking, or you can believe this. If this is true, if words mean anything, and if the Bible is true, that means that Jesus completely canceled, annulled, and dealt with eternally all of sin and sin's nature for anyone who is willing to believe the good news that they have a Savior and His blood has washed them. Hopefully that's you. In Romans 6, 23, those of you that know the Romans road, Romans 3, 26, Romans 6, 23, Romans 6, 23 says that the wages of sin is death. And if you read this in the Passion, it says uh, something like the abysmal wages or the bad wages or something like that. Yeah, for real. Anybody ever get their paycheck? Like when I was young, I remember like the first time I had a full-time job and I worked all week and did overtime and everything and I got my paycheck. I'm like, what the crap? I thought it was going to be like a car or a house. And back when I was a kid, minimum wage was three uh, $3.25. Take that, young people, with all your increased minimum wages and socialism. 
We used to work for 325. <laughs> and it was probably more. <laughs> and, I, and I got my paycheck and I'm like, this is miserable. And who's this FICA guy taking all my money? I think he is. I was looking for him. Still looking for him. <laughs> it was a miserable wage for what I felt like I'd earned. But let me say this. If the wages of sin is death, which are appropriate wages, then what would the wages be that God would quote-unquote pay Jesus for what he did? Now, how you answer that is going to probably be indicative of your actual value of Jesus and what he did. Because some people really don't think it was a big deal. Like, guy came, you know, blood and cross and stuff and things. God resurrected him. Woohoo! I'm a Christian. No idea. No idea that God himself, God himself literally broke the Trinity took a third of the Trinity and thrust it into humanity to always be in humanity. Jesus stepped down from a level of divinity forever. Jesus will always have a body with scars. Ten trillion years from now, you will see Jesus in heaven with scars on his back that bought your healing and you haven't need to be healed for 10 trillion years. He stepped down from divinity forever in some regard to rescue people that literally urinate on his gift and still did it. I would say that it would be beneficial for us at least folks in this building to honor and value that gift the way it was intended to be honored and valued. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, who is Lord. Hopefully he's your Lord. Not everybody that's born again has him as Lord, but everybody that's born again has him as Savior. The era of sin has passed away. Jesus left it in the tomb. When he was resurrected, he made all things new. The era is new. The place of humanity is new. I'm going to say something. Hopefully you don't choke on this. If you do, we'll spiritually heimlich you. But there's a human in the Godhead. That's pretty good. And there always will be. That human in the Godhead is our representative. That's our covenant brother. That's our family name. And he will always be accepted in the Godhead, which means that you are always accepted by the Godhead. You might argue with that. You might say you don't belong. 
That's the cool thing about a covenant. Is not everybody that's represented by that covenant representative of the covenant deserves it. Some of them are scoundrels. Anybody ever had an old crazy uncle? I used to say Bob, but I can't say. I know. <laughs> years and years ago, before there was a Bob in our church, I used to say crazy uncle Bob, and then Bob showed up. I said it a couple of times, and he was looking at me like, I'm like he's a little crazy. <laughs> crazy good. So crazy uncle Fred. Is there any Freds? Anybody got that crazy uncle in their family that you're like, I don't know how you got in the family, but, you know, we let them come over for Thanksgiving. You could be that person in the family. I won't look at nobody. Here, I'll look at you too. You're out there. You could be that person. Maybe you think like you don't, you don't represent the family well. Maybe you're not the, the good. Re- okay, you don't have to be the representative. That was Jesus. You just have to be in the family. Well, how do you get in the family? Well, you're born of a woman. Anybody in here not born of a woman? Right, it's all of us. So if you're born of a woman, you're in the family. Jesus was your representative. And so it doesn't matter if you are the, the second best representative of all humanity or you're like the terrible. Nobody even wants to admit that you're even human. Either way, you have a representative. The era for humanity changed from slavery to our oppressor, the original tyrant, Satan, to freedom in Christ. This is the era that we now live. This sin, which is... The Greek word hamartia, which is defined as missing the mark. There's a verb version that's barely used. The noun version is the one that's used the most. Noun, as you all know, person, place, or thing. So it talks about identity. Most of us, in our, in our head, we translate the word sin as verb. I sinned because I cussed, or whatever it was, your action that you did. Most of the usage of the word in the New Testament is a noun, which talks about root. And you see the fruit, and you think that's the big part. The fruit is way, way, way after root. So when I say sin, you're probably thinking commission, sins that you commit. And there is a reality to that, that there is fruit. But Jesus specifically said, Matthew, uh, Matthew chapter 15, he said the way that this works is that it starts in your heart and then eventually it comes out. Matthew chapter 15 and verse 16, Jesus said, and he said, are you also, this is in the ESV, And he said, are you also still without understanding? And praise God, we're we're getting less and less without understanding. Verse 17, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and it is expelled? Don't make me explain that. But verse 18, 
What comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart and defiles a person. It's not the things that happen to you. And I know I'm going to lose a bunch of people saying this. It's not what you're... It's not what that mean person did to you when you were six that defiles you. Man. I I can't do it. I'd love to. I would love to, to wreck the facade of you being the victim, and that's why all the things in your life are so terrible. It's because this person did this. This happened to me at this age. This is what this person said. This is what this person did. All of these things together are why I am defiled. Jesus literally saying, that's a lie. It's not what goes into you. It's not what happens to you. It's not what people say to you. It's what you allow to come out of your heart that defiles you. Which means, if I, if I say, let's say Josiah is my son, and I say, Josiah, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're ugly, you're stupid, you're ugly. And eventually Josiah says, my father says I'm stupid and ugly. And he embraces the identity, noun, person, place, or thing. He embraces the identity, of ugly stupid then what will come out of him will be ugly and stupid what's coming out of your life that you may not like or love has nothing to do with you going and dealing with the fruit because this is how most people want to do their lives I use this example all the time when I'm ministering to somebody That'll sit in my office and they're, they're in some kind of an addiction or, or sexual misconduct or, or just terrible choices and their lives are abysmal. I'll say, what you, the reason you're sitting here is because you have all of these things that are in your life that are terrible. You got condemnation and shame and guilt and misery and probably debt and money problems and addiction problems and all these things. And the reason you're sitting here is because you want me to help you get rid of all the things. But the things are fruit. It'd be the same thing if I went out and we used to have an apple tree right over here. And if you'd smoke brisket with the wood from that apple tree, uh it's good brisket. That's a side note, just so you know. We used to have an apple tree that was in that corner where the parking lot now is that we had to get rid of for the parking lot for all of you, praise God. That apple tree made apples every year. So let's say I come out after a good long hard day of preaching, trying to get you all sorted, and I go out the back, we used to have a back door too, we used to have a lot of stuff. And I go out the back door and I'm like, man, I'm, I'd like to have an apple, have an apple after, after service every day, like a reward. Because that's how some of us live with our fruit. Like you reward yourself with your fruit. Go out and you want to get an apple and, and the Lord says, apples are poisonous. Like, oh, apples are poisonous? This whole time I thought they were good. No, apples are poisonous. Oh, okay. Apples are poisonous. Terrible apples. Stupid, uh, stupid sex problems. I hate you. 
And so I go out to the apple tree. I'm like, stupid, dumb apple tree. Hate you. Take that and that and pull off all the apples. Walk away all puffed up. That's right. Took care of all the fruit in my life. There's no more apples. I went to work. God, I did it for you, buddy. Got it. Got rid of all them darn apples. All those poisonous fruit. And then I walk away. Good to go. Feeling all holy and righteous and clean. And I preach and preach and preach and preach and you guys get better and better and better and better because I'm not eating poison. And then next fall, I go out the door. Apples. How is that possible? I took all the apples off. I kicked the tree. I cursed it. I told it was stupid. I did all the things that I needed to do to deal with the apples. Why did it make more apples? Because that's its nature. That's what it was created to do. Its DNA says, take water, take nutrients from the earth and make apples. Make apples. That's what you're created for. That's what you're supposed to do. Make apples. Keep making apples. No matter if they tear them down. And then I come out there. Now I'm really mad. Like some people with the sin that's in their life. Now I'm really mad. And I'm going to do stuff. Terrible. I'm take a saw and I'm hacking off branches and I'm drilling holes into it and I'm lighting them on fire right next to it. This is what's going to happen to you, buddy. If you don't stop making apples, I'm going to burn you. And I go away even more confident than I was the last time I got out of that sexual addiction that I solved it this time. I got rid of this is, this is the dry drunk thing that you've heard me say. I got rid of all the alcohol in my mouth. I poured it all down the drain. Got rid of all the bottles. There's no more Heidi Heidi bottles. I'm good. I'm clean. There are no more bottles. Go away. Preach my little heart out. Trying to make you all believe in my holiness. And then I come out the next fall. And that stupid tree grew new branches, and made apples. After everything I did to it. That's how the average Christian lives their life. They're dealing with the fruit. They're tearing the fruit down. They're cutting branches off. They're, they're cussing at it. They're kicking it. They're, they're pouring gasoline on it. They're threatening it. But the tree does what it was created to do, which is make Apples. So if apples are poisonous and what I really need to be a good preacher is bananas, what am I going to do? I'm going to tear the tree out of the ground with Ryan's tractor and a chain. Tear that sucker out, roots and all. I'm going to put it on the biggest bonfire in the middle of our parking lot ever. We're all going to dance around, have s'mores, and then I'm going to take a banana and I'm going to put it in the ground. I'm going to cover it up. I'm going to put water on it. I'm going to fertilize it. I'm going to protect it to make sure that nothing eats my banana. And what will happen in five years if we were in a tropical climate was (laughs) I'd get a banana tree. Now, it might be like this, and it probably ain't making no bananas, 
but it's still the tree. And if it stays unmolested, and if it's allowed to develop the way it was created to develop, it will eventually grow and become a great tree and make bananas for everybody at Beloved Church. And we'll eat and eat and eat, and it'll be natural. I won't even have to go out there and work on it and do all this this terrible stuff and call in banana tree professionals and and go and sit in their office for three or four hours at a time and pay them $200 an hour to make sure that they're helping me understand that banana trees make bananas. Because I took out the old nature and replaced it with the new nature. I took out the nature of Adam and replaced it with the nature of Christ. And if I allow it to bear much fruit, then what proceeds out of the mouth in the old Adam is what defiles me. And what it looks like is out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery. Okay, please understand. How does adultery come out your mouth? I, I, I think so many people go past this. You, you can't adultery out of your mouth. What Jesus is saying is that this is how things are released. It's released through your lifestyle and through your words. There's a whole other way that I can take this about the power of your words. But what Jesus is saying is the things that come out of you that actually create all the defilements in your life. It's not the things that go into you. When you see these things coming out of you, you should say... That's not right. That's not a banana. That's not a banana. And how did that get there? There's also uh, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. You know, I could spend an hour going through each of these words because none of these things are, are really that bad in today's world. They're just not. They, they, you know, when in Jesus' day they were terrible stuff. But like murder today is called health care. Adultery today is called. You're laughing. It's for real. Murder is called health care. They call it health care. You can actually get insurance to pay for it when you're doing it. Um, uh, evil thoughts. That, that's just freedom of thought. I was with someone the other day. Uh, some I don't remember who this was, but they're an art person. And they were talking about going to the uh, Chicago Art Museum, which I'd been there. Kay and I were chaperones with uh, Hannah when she went to the art museum when she was in school. And I had to usher my group. I had like four girls in my group. And I had to usher my group out of particular rooms or areas of the Chicago Art Museum because it was porn. It's naked people doing... Yeah. (laughs) Now it's just art. It used to be evil. Now it's art. Murder. Adultery. Adultery is cool now. Because we just do it on TV and with 
you know, glowing screens instead of doing it in physical. Sooner or later, it'll get to the physical, but I mean, it's not that bad anymore. It's not like it's as bad as it used to be. Back in the day, you know, like if someone called you an adulterer, you're like, no, don't ever say that. Now people call an adulterer, you're like, that's right, twice this week. Sexual immorality. You know they're different. I don't have time for this. Theft. Jesus actually put the government in the list. False. That was good. You guys know that was good. That's right. It should have been a standing ovation. That's okay, though. Don't. False witness. You know it doesn't say lie? If you don't know you shouldn't lie, I'm like, walk into this. When you're a kid, walk into this. Lying is wrong. Okay. False witness is not lying. It's a different form. It means like, um, you know, like if I was going to invite you to uh, go to the restaurant with me, like, hey, let's go to the restaurant. It's the best restaurant ever. Um, I'm just not going to tell you that I'm inviting you so you pay because I'm going to accidentally forget my wallet. That's a, that's a false witness. Like I led you into something. People do this all the time in salesmanship. They don't tell them the bad thing. This is, this is what politics is all the time. No politician ever stood up there and said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to take money from you. I'm going to make it terrible for your kids. I'm going to do really, really horrible stuff to you, your family. Now will you please vote me in? You've never heard that speech. They say, no, I'm going to give you money. Where are you going to get it from? I'm just going to give you some money. And the, the shocking thing is, is that some of us are so ignorant. We're like, so you're going to give me money? Where'd it come from? Just from the sky. From the money tree next to the apple tree. No, what they're saying is, I'm going to steal money from Jessica to give it to Clark. Every time the guy... Now we know. Clark's a socialist. We should all have a talk with him afterwards. Clark will be at the altar when we're done. All right, I, I'm going to move on because I said I wasn't going to preach on these. False witness, false witness is different than lying. It's just it's misleading people on purpose or not telling them the whole truth and nothing but the truth. Verse 20, these are, these are what defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. Jesus knew about coronavirus, and he said you don't have to wash your hands. Okay, the three of you that laughed, you got it. The rest of you, you're, you've been in the pandemic too long. You can come up for air. There's also sin of omission. This is where uh, most people who are really authentically trying to live for God, they're not in adultery, but they know that they're probably not loving their spouse the way they should. This is what's called the sin of omission. It's not doing all the things that you probably should do. Now, there are some people in here that are in the commission thing, where you're actually doing the stuff, and you're, and you're obviously not very happy about that. But for the rest of us <laughs> that, that think that we're way better than that, uh, that old tax collector, that publican, I'm way better than those Republicans. And, and uh, you're, not, 
You're not as openly defiled as some other people. But you still live with this knowing, man, I don't, I don't pray as much as I should. I don't love my spouse like I should. Maybe I don't give like I should. Or I, I'm not spending time studying the Word like I should. I'm not as intimate with the Holy Spirit as I could be. These are omissions. Things you know you should be doing that you just don't do. And so hopefully what I just did was I took my brush and I just painted the whole congregation. And myself too. I'm in there. It's either things that we're committing or things that we're omitting. And if you're thinking, not me. I'm good. I don't have any fruit on my tree. And I have painted my apple tree to look just like a banana tree. Nobody knows. Because when I walk into church, I walk in with my church clothes on. And I got my holy face. And I talk really Christianish. Nobody knows. Because when I go home, nobody sees. So, I'm going to catch you with my swipe. James 2.10 Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. Has anybody in here ever offended the 613 laws that we have been given in the Torah? Anybody ever offended one of them? Anybody offended one right now while you're thinking about me? Yep. You're guilty of the whole law. You're, you're guilty of murder. Everybody in here, you're a murderer. Because the law is an entire thing. You know, if I took this keyboard and I like opened it up and I took out one little piece of the circuit panel, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. Even if I just one little piece. Or if I take the keyboard and I drive over it with my truck. Broke is broke. If it's broke, it's broke. That's the law. You break the law a little bit or you break the law. The law is broke. And you're guilty of the whole law. So whether you commit or omit, you're guilty of everything. Anybody love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength? And thy neighbor as thyself, perfectly. Raise your hand if you're perfect at that. We're all guilty. James 4.17 Therefore to him that knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. Oh boy. If you were skating through the first one, I just picked you up on that one. Because a bunch of y'all know to do right. I'm not going to say me. Because all the time that I know to do right, I do it perfectly. I might not even be doing it now. (laughs) I'm at the pulpit. Those of you that think like, well, I'm not that bad. I'm not in open rebellion. You know, in whatever you're not doing that you know you should be doing, it's actually rebellion. Hopefully what I'm doing... (laughs) I know you're thinking like, oh great, he's trying to condemn everybody all at once. That's not the point. The point is to say like, we all are equal in this. In the omit, commit. We're all equal in the reality that there is this, uh, there is this realm, this era of humanity. That in some way or another, hopefully I've picked you up, that you recognize that that is a reality. 
And you might could religiousize your, yourself up or down on that scale, but if you're anywhere in that realm, you're as defiled as anybody else. Romans 14.23b Because if I do A, I'll break off into something else. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Okay, if you got through the first two, and this one doesn't hook you, you need to come lay hands on me. Because this will hook you. Does everybody do everything by faith? Man, there's times that I go like an hour and I didn't exercise my faith at all on anything. I know y'all are looking at me like, well, I thought you were holier than that. Well, I thought you were. (laughs) This is the era that Jesus ended. This is the era Jesus ended. Hebrews chapter 10. Check this out. So Hebrews 10 is after Hebrews 9. So Hebrews 9 was where Jesus ended the era. The era ended. So now we have Hebrews 10 where he talks about us going into this new era. So it starts with, in verse 1, For the law having a shadow of good things to come, and it did. If you kept the whole law, you got Deuteronomy 28, you got all the blessings. Blessed shall you be going in, blessed shall you be going out. You should be the head, not the tail, above and not beneath. Woohoo! The law says, like, hey, if you do everything right, all these awesome things will happen to you. And then we don't do everything right, and then not all the awesome things happen to us, and we're like, oh, I didn't do everything right. The law has a shadow of good things to come, and not the very image of the things. The image is Christ. Can the very image of the things which can never with those sacrifice which they offered year by year continually make the comers thereunto perfect. You can cut a lamb's throat every morning as soon as you get up. And you will still never be free from the reality that you know that you missed it. You could go to bed every night, cut a lamb's throat, pour the blood out for a sacrifice, and you will still go to sleep knowing that you missed it. Somewhere, somehow, you missed it. Those sacrifices will never perfect you. But the next verse says, If they would have worked then you would have had no more conscious consciousness of sins. Because you would have been purged once and for all. This is the sacrifice of Jesus. Jesus did one sacrifice for all sin, for all time, for all man, which means that because his sacrifice did work, every one of us should be living in this, where we have no more consciousness of missing the mark. And I'll I'll bet you there's not one in a hundred thousand Christians that even know that this is an option, let alone live it. If you think about being sinful... You will be sinful. 
What a man thinks on, he becomes. Jesus once and for all did all the sacrifice that was necessary for us to walk away from a consciousness, a nature, a character, an era of sinful humanity. He sacrificed for that to be dealt with once and for all. And we are supposed to now be walking around living our lives with the revelation and an understanding that we are no longer sinful. We are a new creation in Christ Jesus. The old has passed away. Behold, everything's become new. I'm going to skip a couple verses in here because if I preach all the way through it, you guys won't be happy with me at the beginning of the year. Verse 10, by the which will we are sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once. Anybody know what once means in the Greek? For all. Does anybody know what all means in the Greek? Does that account to anybody in here? Are you an all? Verse 12, but this man, Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever... Okay, now we got once for all, and now we got that same once for all is forever. Well, what if I miss it today? He, 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 he paid for it. What if I miss it tomorrow? Well, he paid for it. Come on, Jesus can't pay for a sin that hasn't been committed yet. Does anybody know how long ago it was since Jesus died? It probably predated your missing it. It's 2,000 years. Anybody over 2,000 years old? <laughs> but this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from henceforth, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. Well, if he's sitting down, who in the world is going to make his enemies his footstool? Craig, one per, oh, Ryan too. Two, two, oh, Donna, she, she's joining the crew. We're going to get a gang, gang signs, west side. West, you know, the thing. We're going to make his enemies his footstools. Yo, yo. It's you. How, how many people in here? live their lives. They feel like they are the footstool of Satan. Like Satan's like, yeah, that's right. It's Tuesday. I own ya. We're supposed to be like, (laughs) I'm not going to do it. (laughs) Expecting. Jesus has faith in you. He's expecting you to do something. Which is kick his enemy's tailbones all over this universe until they finally lay down and cry out for mercy. Stop! Please, quit hurting me. I'm sorry I made your family sick. I'll never do it again. That's right. You'll shut up. And I don't want to hear nothing about it ever again. You know, sickness and disease is missing the mark. Is that shocking to anybody? Your body was created by God to literally... Never be sick, diseased, or in pain. 
So if you're sick, diseased, or in pain, you are missing the mark of your creation. Sickness, disease, is sin. Oh boy. That'll get me kicked out of everybody else's church. Not this one. Amen? Okay. (laughs) Had me worried. For by one offering he has perfected for a couple days. Oh, is it up there? For by one offering, he, the one that was the offering, has perfected forever them that are sanctified. Oh, my Lord. I think Jesus just said all y'all were perfect. What? What? Okay. Are you for real? If this is true, and it is, why don't you believe it? How many of us literally take solace, take defense in the, well, I ain't perfect yet. Don't be judging me. I'm not perfect yet. I'm human. I ain't perfect. According to this, you are. I'm letting it, like, settle. And I'm also watching to make sure nobody's throwing nothing. But I didn't write this. He sanctified you and perfected you. Now, your soul was not immediately a part of that. You're going to have to grow in your no. You're going to have to embrace... You know, let's say somebody walked up to you and said... Oh, Amy, I've been looking for you all my life. Did you know that you were the princess of some rich country? Name a country. Asia. Asia. (laughs) We're going to be starting a school at Beloved. And it's going to have geography in it. And everybody's going to know that Asia is not a country. You're the long-lost queen of Uganda. Do they have a queen? Okay, let's go. You're the long-lost queen of Uganda. We, we, we checked the DNA. We, 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 we've been looking for you your whole life, and we finally found you. You, you literally own Uganda. That will affect Amy's life right now in the next 30 seconds. Not at all, really. I mean, it'll, it'll make her maybe woo-woo. But nothing changed. She's going to have to go to Uganda. She's going to have to learn Ugandan language, Ugandan lifestyle. She's going to have to learn how to be wealthy in Uganda. She's going to have to learn how, how that works, you know, how you, how you operate as a princess, how you dress, how you carry yourself, how you speak, because now these are your people. You're the princess. It's the same thing in the kingdom. Just because you don't feel perfected, just because you don't feel sanctified, just because you don't see it when you look in the mirror, doesn't mean this ain't true. You just need to figure it out. You need to grow in your understanding as to what Jesus has done once and for all, for you, for all time. Okay, would you like to know what your New Year resolution should be? 
And I only got two minutes, so you guys are all like, yes! Because this is the part that everybody hates. I have ten things here listed that you can do to live in greater levels of understanding and bearing fruit of your perfection. I guess my time's up. That's it. I'm done. Is it? Is it? Am I out? Oh. Oh, Lynn. (laughs) No. (laughs) You're wasting my time. The inside joke is we literally say we can't have Grace Group until Lynn's phone goes off. (laughs) We'll be like mid-prayer and then Lynn's phone will go off. We're like, oh, now we can pray. (laughs) It's awesome. (laughs) I love this church. I have, uh, now we can have, now we can start service. Thank you. She just earned me an extra hour and a half. <laughs> All right. Tab's good. Now I lost another minute. Okay, I've, I've listed ten things. And I'm, I'm not going to... I know. Don't worry. Everybody's like... <gasps> but these are areas that you could look at in your life to see if you really are embracing the tree, your banana tree. The first thing is this revelation. If you don't get this, the rest of it is moot. Because I can tell you you're perfect all day long, but it isn't going to affect you any more than someone else telling you that you're stupid. Either way, you have to embrace it. Titus 1.15 says, Under the pure, all things are pure. So the opposite of that verse is, Under the impure, everything's impure. I can stand right in front of you and say, "You're, You're righteous and truly holy. And you can say, No, I'm not. Because to you, you're impure, and so everything's impure. But if you're pure, everything's pure. Then I can say, hey, you're perfected in Christ Jesus. You say, that's right, I embrace that. I don't see it yet, but I embrace it. I'm going to live that way. Romans 6 uh, 6 and 7 says, Knowing this, that our old man is crucified. That's past tense is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. Does anybody in here have your body destroyed? Uh, Not all the gals that have had children. This is talking about the body of sin. That was a good joke. You know what? I can go preach to someone else. They'll appreciate it. There's some gal somewhere saying, that's right, that baby destroyed my body, preacher. You just go on. Knowing this, that our old man is, is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed. That henceforth we should not serve sin. For he that's dead is freed from sin. Anybody in here die? Of the rest of you? Okay, line up. I forgot my gun today, but... All right, this is the one that I, I want to... Please give me like 30 seconds on this. The number two thing is love. This is one of the greatest ways that you'll actually know whether you've embraced this truth or not. How much you love God. 
I can look at the fruit of your tree and find out how much of the love of God is active in your life. This is the, one of the clearest examples of whether you've actually embraced this or not. It is by your love. Jesus said that you'll know my disciples by their love one for another. And people think like, well, the love of God is not going to perfect me. The love of God is not going to make me feel, or not going to make me any better. It might make me feel better. but the, No, the actual love of God. You know, think about it this way. If I give Kay um, a wonderful gift, I gave Kay some, uh, some roses and I wrote her a card for Christmas. Um, and nobody in this room would think that Kay came down on Christmas morning and seen her roses and seen her card and say, Oh, well, Steve really loves me. I should get me a boyfriend. That's what people think about the love of God. If you tell people that are, that are sinful or defiled or you're telling people that are screwed up, you tell them how much God loves them and they'll go be screwed up more. No, it's the goodness of God that leads people into repentance. If you really find out how, how much you're loved, how much God loves you, you'll actually be pure and holy in every way because you'll want to reflect and respond to that love. You can tell how much someone actually receives the love of God based upon their holiness. I know you guys are loving that. It's still true. It's still true. For the love of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, 14, 15, amplified, for the love of Christ controls and urges and impels us because we are of the opinion and conviction that if one died for all, then all died. And he, Jesus, died for all so that all those who live might live no longer to and for themselves, but to and for him who died and was raised again for their sake. If you know that Jesus died for you and your sins, why would you ever sin? Some of you probably potentially love me more than Jesus. If I said, if you miss the mark again, I'm going to have to cut off my hand. You would probably, because of your love for me, you would resist and avoid missing the mark in that way again because you wouldn't want me to cut off my hand. Jesus did a whole lot more than cut off his hand. Galatians 2.20 Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I. But Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of God. I live by the Son of God. I live by faith in the Son of God or the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is how Paul lived his life. Faith works by love. You will never have more faith than love. This is two. I got ten. I'm out of time. Right, except for Tabitha. She's going to stay here longer. I'm going to read these verses. I'm going to ask you to stand up. This is the Passion Translation, so it it kind of preaches for me. This is out of Romans 6. If you do not know Romans 6, then everything I preach today is foreign. 
almost everything I preach today is basically a revelation that I spent two years in Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6, Passion Translation, 17, 18, and 19. And thanks be to God, for in the past you were servants of sin, but now your obedience is heart deep, and your life is being molded by truth through the teaching, which is discipleship, the beloved culture, the doctrines. Through the teaching you are devoted to. And now you celebrate your freedom from your former master, sin. Amen. Good place to celebrate. You've left its bondage. And now God's perfect righteousness holds power over you as His loving servants. I've used the familiar terms of a servant and a master to compensate for your weakness to understand. For just as you surrendered your bodies and souls to impurity and lawlessness, which only brought more lawlessness into your lives, so now surrender yourselves as servants of righteousness, which brings you deeper into true holiness. I'm not going to preach it, but in the same way that you used to yield to the nature of sin, you can now yield to the nature of righteousness and perfection that Jesus has given you. It's just where do you put your yield? So please rise. I'd like to bless you. Thank you so much for sharing this time with us as we have encountered Jesus Christ through the ministry of his life-changing word. If you would like to learn more about Steve Castle Ministries and Beloved Church, you can go online to stevecastle.com or belovedchurchillinois.com. You can also contact us at 815-990-0367. Always remember that you are a part of the Beloved Family of God, and Beloved Church is the place where you are greatly loved. Now please open your heart to receive as Pastor Steve proclaims the blessing of the Father over your life. I pray, I declare that above all things, that you allow the finished work of the cross to bring prosperity into your finances and also divine health, prospering your body. And all of these things are going to affect you in a supernatural way as you allow your soul, your mind, your will, your emotions and your personality to be perfected in prosperity that the Father desires for you to have. We love you, and we cannot wait to see and be with you again soon. Goodbye, beloved.